to hear what you say in the scriptures so that we may grow in endurance and in hope and in love. Help me to explain well and truly help us to hear by the power of your spirit the truth. More importantly, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it just so happens that in recent years, I've, I've been doing, involved in a lot of building. We did a big, massive renovation on this church and I was involved in that. Then not long, oh, it was after that, but then we did a massive renovation, it felt like, on our house and of course I was involved with in that. And we've just finished building a granny flat adjacent on our, next to our, attached to our house. And I feel like I've been just in building projects. People who know have been saying, oh, John, not another building project. It's just the way it's worked out and I'm stopped. But the thing, one of the things that's fascinated me with all these projects, and if you do anything with building, you'll notice this, it's, the ama- it's amazing how much time and money gets put into foundations. Did you know that for the foundations, you need separate drawings just for the structural stuff on the foundations? They, have, they spend a lot of time just on the ground digging and preparing and then heaps of steel work. They put all the plumbing in and the footings which go down deep, deep, deep And then you have to get an engineer to come in and inspect just the foundations, which costs you money. Believe me, I've done it a couple of times now. And those foundations are just unseen when you look at the final building. But they're so important because if they're done poorly, guess what? The building will fall down and everything else will be a complete waste of time. And the other thing about the foundations, which I've realised, is everything is in the foundations. The whole structure of the building, the whole shape and form and function of the building is right there in the foundations. If you say later, let's move the bathroom, guess what? You're up for big money. If you say, let's extend the lounge room by a metre, uh-uh, not unless you're prepared to spend big, big money. It's all there in the foundations. Now, there's a lot in the Bible about building and foundations and I'm going to give you quite a bit. But part of it, I just want you to know there's a lot in the Bible about building and foundations. In the Old Testament, God made promises. Isaiah chapter 21, 8, verse 16. The Sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, that is Jerusalem, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be put to shame. God is going to set a foundation in the city of Jerusalem in Zion, a cornerstone. We get to the New Testament and at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew last weekend and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. Unless, of course, you're living at Collaroy. Because everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them in practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and it beat against it and the house and it fell with a great Crash, you've got to build your words, your life on the words of Jesus, the rock. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. 
and not as the teachers of the law. You've got to build your house on the rock. When Jesus is on trial before the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, they make an accusation against him. They say, we heard this man say, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days we'll build another not made by man. Jesus says, I'm going to build another temple. That's what they're accusing him of. One not made, but he's a builder, Jesus. In fact, he says to Peter, when Peter confesses that he is the Messiah, he says, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not stand against it. Jesus is going to build his church on the confession, on the foundation that he is the Messiah, the promised king. When you read through the rest of the New Testament, guess what happens with the temple? The temple becomes the people of God, the church in Jesus. So we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We read this. Don't you know, this is talking to the whole church, that you use a plural here, not singular, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, church, and that God's spirit lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple, church. The church is the temple of God. Earlier in that same passage, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation, says Paul, as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm a builder, I'm a good builder, but I'm building on the foundation. Be careful how you build. Jesus Christ is the foundation. You go to 1 Peter chapter 2. There's a lot in the Bible about building and it's all consistent. As you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, that is a temple, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And then Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 28. I lay in Zion a precious and cornerstone, chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame because the church is being built on Jesus Christ and we build together. Perhaps the best passage I've left the best to last is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Addressing the church... You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Members of God's house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. It's a consistent message, isn't it? In him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You are the temple built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone and you are building together. 
this temple where God lives by His Spirit. When you build, you first, as I've mentioned, need a solid, firm foundation. It's solid, it's unmovable, it sets the shape and the function of the building. When the foundation is finished, I've been watching this, you then start to build the superstructure. That is, these elements that rise from the strong support the foundation, beams and joists and pillars and the like. The superstructure is not very pretty. Did you know that just down here and on the other side, just down there, there is a massive I-beam. They call them RSJs. I don't know what RSJ means anyway. I like to call them I-beams. It's about that big. They had to account for the fact that it was so heavy it had a bit of sag in it when they built this section here. It runs all the way down through there. We wanted to put a storeroom up there and we discovered, oh, we forgot about the I-beam, which is massive because it's holding up so much weight. It's ugly. But it's absolutely essential for this building to hold together. Once all the superstructure is in place, you can start hanging things off the superstructure. Things like windows or plasterboard or acoustic panels or lights. But you can't do that until the superstructure is in place on a solid foundation. You know, all these extras, they give extra weight to the building. But it's okay because the foundations and the superstructure are there to support the extra weights. And the building is not diminished by the extras, but it's glorified through them. Can you imagine if we were just sitting in the superstructure here? What a horrible building it would be. Cold and ugly. Can you imagine though if we tried to build this building just with plasterboard and windows? And lights. Well, there would be no building here, would there? Because they're just not strong enough to support the building. You need the strong to support the weak. Pretty basic. Now, the passage we had read for us from Romans chapter 5 that we're looking at in our series, In Exile Together, has nothing to do with buildings and nothing to do with foundations. But have another look. Romans chapter 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We who are powerful need to put up, bear with, or under obligation to bear with the weaknesses of the powerless. And not please ourselves. Does the superstructure consider it such a great burden to bear the weaker elements? Now, in fact, it is its duty. That's what it's there for. Look at verse 2. Each of us should please his neighbour for his good, to build him up. We're to be people pleasers. Now, there's a great danger in being a people pleaser. You become a slave to the opinions and the demands of other people when you become a people pleaser. And Paul's telling us to be people pleasers. A people pleaser only says nice things. A people pleaser creates no waves. But that's not the sort of 
people pleaser Paul talking about. This is a builder upper people pleaser who doesn't put comfort and acceptance first but puts the good of the other person first. Someone who people pleases to build them up is not afraid to speak the truth in love if it's going to help build others up. Someone who's just a people pleaser, people pleaser never speaks the truth in love because they just want to be liked by everybody. Now we're to be people pleasers, always looking to build up others, always looking outward for the good of others. We each have a vital role to play in holding one another up so that we can grow together to be God's temple. And it's a good thing. In 1884, there was a Scotsman, he was the moderator of the Free United Church of Scotland. He wrote a book on the parables and he had this story in it. You may have heard a similar story before. But this is where it first turned up. There's a little girl carrying a big baby boy like Noah. Like Elise. Imagine Elise carrying her little brother Noah. And someone says to her, aren't you tired? She says, no, he's not heavy, he's my brother. He's not heavy, he's my brother. By 1969, they'd been been through a few morphs in various languages. By 1969, the Hollies had a song, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. That is life in church. Uh, Others in church, if you spend enough time in church, aren't they a bit of a heavy weight sometimes? Aren't they a burden? You know, in the Church of Rome, as we've been looking at it, the issue was food. Is it okay to eat meat or not? Is it better to be a vegetarian because we don't know where that meat was sacrificed? It was drink. Is it okay to drink wine or not? It was holy days. What's a holy day and what's not? And there's all these differences of opinions and everybody's being a burden. These Jewish people or Jewish-minded people are such a burden. I don't want to have to take a special day and not do anything. I don't want to have to not eat meat. Why can't I eat meat? It's such a burden, such a drag. Not to be able to drink wine. What a pain in the neck for my weaker brother. That was the issue in Rome. Now they're putting up with restrictions to please the other members of the church. Do you ever do that? Do you ever put up with restrictions? Do you ever have to sort of keep your mouth shut when someone annoys you? Guess what? He ain't heavy. He's my brother. He's my brother. She isn't a burden. She's my sister. Don't you don't you tell me she's a burden? She's my sister, man. Because we're family. We're the same father, same family. I gladly bear the burden for my brother. I gladly carry my sister. It's a joy. And you know what? The truth is we need each other. Have a look to those acoustic panels. Took us a while to get them up. They're quite expensive. Man, it was bad before they went up. If you sometimes think we don't get the sound right, you weren't here in that first year. 
The whole building's holding those acoustic panels up, and they're a blessing, I tell you. We need them. We need the windows, we need the lights. The Bible says the church is not just a temple, but it's a body. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians about body life. Chapter 12, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. That is the church. The tibia doesn't say to the iron, to the eye, I'm doing all the work here. Do you realise that I'm holding you up? Why don't you carry your own weight? That's a stupid thing for the body to say. And so we don't say it in church. And I am amazed, and if you have your eyes and ears open, you will be amazed how that those who we might consider to be weaker in our church body so often have such a unique and wonderful contribution that you cannot do. That they invite people to church that you don't invite to church. You're not inviting people to church. You look at some of the people who you might often think people, oh, but you're going to feel bad about inviting people to church now because it says you're weaker. But you often have a look at who gets invited to church and who does the inviting. To hear good news. We need to bear with others. We need to adjust. You know who some of the weaker people are in our congregation? I'm being a bit blunt here. It's the elderly. They're physically weaker. The world has changed immensely. I can't believe how much has changed in my life and I don't think I'm yet titled a senior. I'm going my way. Oh, the seniors, how? Why do we have to always look after the seniors? Why can't we just have it the way we want to have it? Because the world's changed. Wouldn't it be so much easier just to get rid of these old people? Or not to have to listen to them complaining? And I think we've probably not done as good a job as we could have in some ways. How would you like to be in a church without any seniors? Wouldn't that be great? Some churches play that game. I hate that. Because we are blessed so much by our elderly folk. You've got no idea. And if you don't have any idea, you should have an idea. You should have an idea. We need to adjust. We need to respect and honour. And I'm just picking on the seniors at the moment. It applies to everybody. If you think you're carrying too much weight and that others are always wrong, the Apostle says, we who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak. We're under obligation and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbour for his good 
to build him up. It's going to click this in place. It's a duty, it's a joy, it's a privilege to do that. This is part of church life. It's part of what's demanded actually by the foundations because you know the foundations of a church give shape and function to the whole building. The foundation of our church life demands this sort of response. What is the foundation? Well, Paul goes on. In fact, you already know the foundations. I've been through it already but let's just keep going with Paul's passage here in Romans. First, he speaks of the cornerstone. Verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. There is our cornerstone, the ultimate foundation, Christ Jesus and his gospel. In church, despite our differences, we bear with each other because it's just what you do when you follow Jesus. The strong support the weak for the joy set before him, before them. The strong support the weak for the joy set before them. We follow the pattern of the cross. We follow Jesus. Paul quotes from Psalm 69 verse 9, which seems a bit out of place, seems a bit odd. Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me, Psalm 69. But it is not out of place, it's actually an essential part of the foundation. Psalm 69 is the psalm of King David and it's about the suffering of the righteous one. It's about the plight of the people of God that is summed up in their representative, their anointed king, who is David as he writes this. So if we go back to Psalm 69, let me just read you the first two verses. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. There is no foundation. God's righteous people, God's anointed king suffers. And the psalm goes on calling for God to judge the evil that caused this and to rescue the righteous and it finishes with great praise for God's faithfulness. This is the life of Jesus, the righteous king, the son of David, God's representative. And yet for Jesus, Psalm 69 verse 9, zeal for your house consumes me. That was quoted when Jesus cleared the temple. Zeal for your house consumes me and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. We reject God. We are in rebellion against God. We don't want God in our lives, yet our reproach, our insults against God fall on this anointed righteous king who has a great zeal for the house of God, for God's temple, who has a passion for God's temple. Our insults fall on the anointed king, which is Jesus. This is gospel basics. We sang it. Jesus Christ, in very nature God, did not grasp hold of his place on the throne but took on the nature of a servant and made himself nothing. Born as a man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. (laughs) The strong bearing the weak. Big time. Jesus bore reproach, our reproach for us. Our insults against God fell on his son and through his death as he went to Jerusalem, see him in Jerusalem, through his death he saves his people and he starts to build his temple. Not a building but people and he is the cornerstone, the sure foundation. And in this gospel, Jesus' death and resurrection and exaltation, we find forgiveness and salvation and this gives shape to the whole building. It sets the pattern for the whole building. How can you not bear with your weaker brother or sister? How can you consider it a burden when you follow Jesus? That's part of what the building does. And it's not just Psalm 69 but the whole of the Old Testament leads us to Jesus points us to Jesus the Messiah. The whole of New Testament tells us Jesus is the Messiah. He is God's King who came to save. So having just quoted Psalm 69, Paul says in verse 4, For everything that was written in the past, there's all these Old Testament scriptures, was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. The Bible points us to Jesus, points us to the cornerstone, the foundation, the Messiah. In fact, the Bible, in pointing us to Jesus, forms part of the foundation that we build on. The Scriptures teach us that God has a plan. He has a purpose to save his people. Things aren't perfect now, but one day the Messiah will renew all things and renew his people. And the church that he calls to himself will be beautiful and glorious and perfect. And because of the scriptures telling us this, through endurance and encouragement, we can have hope because God has a plan. There is a plan. The buildings have a plan. The foundation's just not blah. It's been built to God's plan. Therefore, we have hope. See, if you're building, if you've done any building, you need endurance and you need encouragement because you start with digging holes and it's just like a mess. And every day you come back and, oh, there's a little bit more change, but not much. And the builders, they sweat away. They're sawing and cutting and hammering and putting up and not much change. Framing's wonderful because in a few days everything goes bang, but still it's just sticks. You need endurance, you need encouragement if you're building. And God's word gives us endurance and encouragement. If you're carrying your little brother home from the shops, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. You need endurance, you need encouragement, keep going. You keep going because you know you're going home. The scriptures show us God's plan and they give us that that purpose of endurance and encouragement because we have hope, because God has a plan. You keep going. See, these are the foundations of the temple God's building. 
Christ Jesus, the cornerstone, built on the promises of the prophets and the apostles. The scriptures. They form and give shape to the church that Jesus builds on. And so we want to be, we say it in our documents, I hope it's true in our hearts, and ever increasing so, we want to be a Jesus-loving, gospel-proclaiming, Bible-believing church. Because that's the foundation. Jesus-loving, gospel-proclaiming, Bible-believing. There's no other way. No other foundation. We are the temple of God in which God dwells by his spirit. We're called to self-humiliation, to the renouncing of our rights, to pleasing others for their good, not for our good, for their good, so that we can build up together. And the things that marked Jesus' life must mark our life. That passage from Philippians, it's worth going back to because how does it start? If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any compassion from his love, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, if God's Spirit is amongst us, if you have any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, by thinking the same, says Paul, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish, selfish ambition and vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not, not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God and so we go into our song. This is basic Christian living. Paul's hope for the church in Philippi is exactly the same as Paul's hope for the church in Rome, exactly the same as what he says in this passage. Verses 4, 5 and 6 he goes into a prayer. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity amongst yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of endurance and encouragement give you, Paul says, literally the one mind, the one thinking so that you may think the one. A common mind. That's a remarkable statement because everything before this Paul has been saying, I get that there's differences in thinking amongst you. I get that. Don't try and solve it. Live with grace. Live with a spirit of acceptance. Humble yourselves and serve your weaker brother. Everything he's been saying is, I get there's differences amongst you. Now he's saying, no, 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 have one thinking. What's he mean by that? Well, I think he's saying accept that there are differences but think the same thing when it comes to the foundations because that's what gives shape to the building. Not whether you put yellow carpet or blue carpet in, which is what you're arguing about, but whether the foundations are the same and secure. I want you to be absolutely sure on the foundations, which is Jesus Christ and his gospel and a commitment to God's revealed word in the scriptures. And through that, may God's glory shine through his church, his temple. May God give you, who, the God of endurance and encouragement, give you a spirit of unity 
amongst yourself as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is maturity. As a church, which leads to maturity as individuals, that though there are many differences amongst you, though that you are incredibly diverse, with one mind and heart and soul together, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Despite the fact that some of you think that eating meat's completely wrong in Rome and others don't think it's a big deal at all, despite the fact that some of you say on this day you're only allowed to do this and this and this and others say, no, all days are the same. It doesn't matter those things. Are you committed to glorifying Jesus with one voice, your Saviour and Lord? When you go into the city, cities are cities. You look at them from a distance, they're all the same, kind of. Big buildings, usually a pillar-like centre point somewhere in the middle of it. You go into most cities that have had a Christian heritage in the world and in the middle of the city there'll be one, two, three buildings that stand out. They're often called cathedrals. Big, old Christian buildings. They're set apart from the architecture around them. Now, I'm not saying whether it's been a good thing or a bad thing, but it's interesting to notice. They're in the city, but they're not of the city. They're different. They're like exiles standing out in the city, these cathedrals. Now, they're just buildings. They don't represent, other than being a building, Jesus Christ. But the real church of God, the real temple of God, is the people and it is to stand out. It is to look different in the city. It's to be set apart. The church are exiles who don't quite fit. They can be noticed. And it's to shine with a glory far greater than any building we might build in our cities. We are the light of the world, says Jesus. We are a city on a hill. So let your light shine so that people may see your good deeds, so that people may see your unity of purpose and heart and mind and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Pray that we might do that as a united church, that the blessing that God has given to Pennant Hills Baptist Church, the people from many different nations, and I hope increasingly people from many different backgrounds and life circumstances, and people of every age, from Noah to Cliff at 103, might come into this building and may be together during the week and may so love one another despite their differences that they just stand out in the city. That God is doing something. That God is real. That Jesus unites people. That Jesus, by his Spirit, is starting to work his glorious kingdom even here on this fallen earth. Will you be part of it? Will we be faithful? I hope so. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that your vision for your people, that your vision for the temple that you are building is so much bigger than ours. 
We, Father, pray that we would each repent of our pettiness, of our selfishness, and that you would give us a willingness to be strong and to support others in our church despite our differences. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.